Hello and welcome to the Raptors Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Ben Lou. Uh, this is the Canada Basketball Reaction Podcast after the semifinal between Canada and Serbia. And look, unfortunately, Canada loses 95-86. to 86. Um, Maybe not the most pleasant thing to wake up for. Obviously, the game took place very early on in the morning uh, at 4.45 a.m. for those uh, in Eastern time, which is the majority of Canada. But I mean, at the same time, I think it was more unpleasant that we got to see this kind of, um, I mean, it was, it was one-sided. Like, I would say Canada had a chance. You know, maybe if Canada had a lot of breaks going their way, um, they could have made this game even closer. And, you know, I would have wondered what Serbia would have looked like if they had faced a deficit at any point. Um, but, I mean, you have to credit to Serbia. They played so well. They played really, really physical, really, really together as a group. And, you know, as much as I think that um, Canada has a lot of talent in this whole group, um, I think this is one of those games where you're reminded that they're a little bit young. And in terms of adapting to this style of play, um, you know, I feel like there's always this sort of urge to say that, like, you know, this is what FIBA is. This is what FIBA is. It's a different game. But you did feel like at times you're like, you know what? You're trying to guard a team that is playing so differently than like every team that you face in the NBA. When you have a NBA heavy roster, I think there are certain principles, but maybe it doesn't carry over. And, um, you know, I, I look, that's part of it. I think part of it is also just Serbia out executed. Canada had a very clear game plan and they played with this intensity. They play with this fury. They play with a deeper roster. I mean, all of those things are really, really impressive. And they all added up towards this victory here where it was well-deserved. I know, you know, again, there's lots of conversation uh, about officiating as well. And, you know, it was a key stat. Like, Canada had been whistled for 23 fouls before the end of the third quarter, and that was already more fouls called on any team in this whole entire tournament in a whole game. And so, you know, at you know, obviously, foul trouble came into a, a massive part of this game, and it really did inform and dictate a lot of how it was played by both teams. Um, but I, I think that to me felt more like, um, outside of a, a handful of calls, which look, I you know, there were, you could, you can go call by call and you can make little instances. Um, but why w- impression from watching the bulk of the game was Canada was behind and there was too many mistakes that they made throughout the course of it. But I think my overall impression is just, you know, before I get into the details, it's just that Serbia played really together, really physical, really aggressive they sustained that for the entire game. They never let their foot off the gas pedal. Um, and even at times when it seemed like Canada was like maybe hoping and praying one or two, three sparks them, they showed no weaknesses at all. And they just kept pushing through and they punched back each time. And yeah, and <laughs> Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, me and uh, Oren had this discussion on the podcast yesterday in terms of just like, you know, is Shea going to be the MVP of the tournament? I don't know. Serbia behind Bogdanovich. I mean, he doesn't have the same stats as Shea, but he doesn't have to play the same, like, um, role as Shea. Like, yes, he's the leader of the team, um, and he leads the team in scoring, but he doesn't have to play 36, 37 minutes like Shea does. And he's his efficiency is through the roof, and we saw it today. Just an absolute killer in terms of just, you know, Serbia, I thought, was going to be a very similar matchup to Spain. We were talking about that as well. And, and they gave Canada many of the similar problems, a lot of the off-ball movement, um, a lot of, you know, using a lot of depth. That's one of the things that uh, Spain was able to do as well, rely a lot on their bench. Serbia did the same thing. But the difference maker between a team like Spain and a team like Serbia is, 
Serbia had that next level player who can also create so much for you in a half court setting, both on or off the ball, uh, and and did it with incredible efficiency. And that's what Bogdanovich did here today. I mean, Canada has literally two of the best defenders in the world. They were talking about all at practice yesterday. Dylan Brooks saying I'm the best defender in the world. Lou Dort saying me and Dylan Brooks are the best defenders in the world. They didn't do anything to Bogdanovich. And I, that's not me trying to discredit them as defenders, but that's a credit to Bogdanovich's skill playing on and off the ball. On the ball, you know, he had a lot of opportunities where he was very smart about it, attacked in switches, took bigs off the dribble and, and got downhill. It wasn't like he was just roasting these guys one-on-one. Not a lot of playing one-on-one with Bogdanovich. A lot of coming off ball, a lot of curling, a lot of, you know, playing in transition. He was very, very incisive to the point where, again, two of the best defenders in the world, two of the best defenders in this tournament, both self-proclaimed and also earned in terms of how they performed. I mean, Canada had a better grasp on Luka Doncic than they did on Bogdanovich. So that was the separator. You have the team basketball aspect and the depth similar to Spain, but then you have that next level player who can just, you know, prevent them from getting into droughts because that's what happened to Spain. Spain went through like four or five minute spells where they couldn't score because they didn't have a guy who can get shots. Serbia does have that. And, and, you know, to me, out of all the teams that Canada's faced, and I and I think Canada's faced so many top teams, so many top uh, competitors so far in this tournament uh, to get to this point where they're not going to play for bronze. But this is, like, Serbia is on a different level, man. Serbia, just in terms of their... It's not even necessarily the quality of the players in the sense that, like, it's not like, okay, this guy has incredible talent or they shot the lights out here or there. I mean, like, they did everything well across the board. So you might point to a couple of things and say, well, you know, they're not going to shoot 62% every game or they're not going to hit 45% from three every game or they're not going to limit their turnovers to this degree every single game. But, like, honestly, it's it's the way they execute it as a team. Like, I, I cannot really fully describe to you without you watching and feeling the emotion in the game of how much pressure and how much physicality they played with. And it was up and down the roster. Um, You know, like, it's every single guy coming in and making a play for the team. Very, very few instances where they played one-on-one. And again, just the physicality and the defensive tenacity. um, I I have to hand it to them. Like, this was just Canada being outplayed by a better team. And it's a learning experience. And quite frankly... You know, it's it's one of those things where I th- it's a big learning lesson. I always enjoy losses because you can feel really down about it. But at the same time, you can take away so many lessons. And, you know, I mean, it was similar to in the Brazil game where after the Brazil game, you could diagnose a lot of these problems and really get into it. In the Serbia game, you can really dive in. And who knows? I mean, maybe it's a little too too little too late. Obviously, Candace just going to play for bronze. Hopefully they get it. I mean, you know, it, it, it'll be amazing to come out of this with the medal on the tournament that's already... Yeah, that would be the first time Canada would get a medal uh, in the history of the World Cup. So, you know, that that to me is significant. I hope it is to the players as well. I hope they finish strong as a group. They should feel very proud of what they did here. Um, but to me, there is a, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And, you know, yes, Canada had a mission accomplished in terms of just like getting to the Olympics. That was part one of two missions. Obviously, they failed the other one in terms of the gold. But still, you know, you can't fault them for losing to a better team. Even looking ahead to the Olympics, I'm not sure how much this will sort of stay on the minds and the memories of the program, of the players, because a lot of these guys will return next summer. But when we get to the Olympics, we're not just happy to be there. We're not just going to be there and be like, all right, we're here and, and you know, we did it and it's historic, whatever it is. But at the same time, you don't go to the Olympics without any hope of going for a medal. Of course you are. And if you're going to hope the medal, you're going to face competition 
like Serbia. And it's going to be like that from the from the jump. You know, you're not going to see Lebanon or you're not going to see, you know, well, I guess you will see France because they're hosts. But, you know, a team as bad as France played, let's say, in this tournament, you're not going to see that, right? There's only 12 teams in that tournament. You're getting the very best of the world and you're going to need these lessons. And so I think, you know, from from Canada's perspective, for those who missed the game, and, and I can't blame you, it was so early on. Um, that, you know, I just understand logistically it's difficult. You know what I mean? Like, you, it's not just like, a, oh, you got to make a sacrifice to your rule for the team. We're talking about like 4.45 a.m. when the start, the game starts. You can't stay up too late for it. You can't wake up too early for it. It's kind of just perfectly in between a bad spot. And it's a weekday and kids are in school. Like, there's just too many things that sort of come into play um, to make this difficult. So credit to everyone who did watch. You know, I think it, it took dedication. But also, I think at the same time, can't blame anyone for not watching. So in terms of the game itself, Canada gets down 8-1 right away. Um, you know, I think Serbia's physicality was very, very evident from the jump. And they played really, again, just the same way for the full 40 minutes. And that was very impressive. But Bogdanovic right away getting downhill, getting open opportunities for his teammates. Um, you know, I think Serbia was also very smart. They saw Canada has this one very, well, multiple glaring weaknesses, and we'll get into those uh, later on in the program. But, you know, right away, any co- any good coach would notice that uh, Canada is fairly small and they don't really have bigs. Um, and the bigs that they do have, they can't afford to even lose those because the bigs on the bench are even worse. So um, what happened was literally on the first play of the game, Serbia goes into the post to uh, Mulatinov, who is, um, you know, a true seven-footer and uh, posting up against Dwight Powell. And, you know, Powell gives up the foul literally in the first play of the game. Next play down, they give the ball into the post to Mulatinov. He scores. And then next play down, uh, driving kick with Bogdanovich breaking down the point of attack and then dumping it down to low to their center. So you could tell right away they wanted to play through their size advantage. Now, the, the smart thing with that is, look, you don't have to, like, force feed him. You're not giving him the ball and clearing out every single time. But you did get him the ball in all these opportunities, and it really forced Canada to rotate and collapse. And, like, you know, the one other thing, too, with Canada is not only are they small in the front court, but they don't have big wings that can necessarily come over and help and change shots. Like, this isn't like, for example, with Team USA – they're also small, but what they sometimes do is they'll play small in the post matchup. Let's say they'll put Josh Hart on like a center, like a JV, or if they play Serbia in the final, uh, if they get past Germany, uh, which is, I think, t- tipping off very soon, um, they'll put Josh Hart on Mulatinov, but then they'll have Jaron Jackson Jr. as the weak side help defender and him rotating over with the legitimate shot blocking presence. That is a big deterrence. Canada not only doesn't have a good post matchup to guard the post, but they don't have anybody helping over that really can uh, affect shots up top. What they have is a lot of small guys who can come in and swipe. And Canada, I would say on the whole, relies too much on swiping and relies too much on excessive ball pressure. And those are the other issues I'll get into. But essentially, Canada has had this weakness historically. And even looking ahead to the Olympics next year, and whatever, we'll have tons of time to preview that. But even looking ahead to next year, Canada has this issue in the front court. It's not like Canada didn't have, uh, uh, you know, all these bigs that didn't show up. Like Canada's best players who, who weren't here at the FIBA World Cup were Jamal Murray, uh, who would have helped a ton. Andrew Wiggins, who would have helped a ton. Um, some of the younger guards, you know, like the Indiana's guards, like Benedict Matherin or Andrew Nemhard. These are all guards. And and look, you can get more guards on the roster. I think that will help. But to me, the front court is the issue that has been there for Canada for a long time. And 
you know, I think between Dwight Powell and Kelly Olenek, support to them, like respect to their contributions. But where is that next generation of Canadian bigs coming from? Um, you can't tell me that like you bring Ken Birch or Chris Boucher or or even, you know, uh, Brandon Clark from the Grizzlies. These guys are all undersized for, for this international game and they don't offer the same kind of um, threat that Canada needs. Regardless, Canada gets down 8-1 early on. They're fighting uphill. Shea doesn't have a single basket in the first quarter. And this is something that Canada has struggled with. They, they try to play a little bit more team basketball. They're not as focused. And to his credit, Shea doesn't, you know, take over early in the games. They try to let other teammates get into it. But it does lead to a lot of slow starts for Canada. They don't play with the same urgency as they do in the second half. Second half, Canada has consistently played great. But first quarter, they start slow. And this has been a problem for the whole tournament. And, you know, we haven't seen a starting lineup change. We've seen one game in the Spanish game where Kelly Olenek was taken off the floor to start the third quarter. That was kind of like the Fred Van Vliet coming in for Danny Green kind of situation. But that happened one time, and it happened at a time where Kelly was struggling. This time, Kelly was actually all right for you offensively, making good decisions. So, you know, you don't see any starting lineup changes. But what can the starting lineup do to not come in slow all the time? Um, and Shea has gone off to slow starts. You know, like Bogdanovich, for example, literally on the first five minutes of the game, you saw him everywhere, you know, spotting up for threes. You saw him curling, getting off ball. Like, there's all these actions that even if he wasn't shooting, even if he wasn't assisting, he was causing issues with the defense and he was aggressive literally from the jump. And that was Serbia's plan. You don't see that same approach from Canada in in this tournament. And maybe hopefully they, they change it for the bronze medal game. But regardless, we haven't seen it from them. And I think the other thing, too, is just like, okay, it's fine if you want to initiate through other guys, but are those other guys capable of initiating? And this is where I give Serbia's uh, ball pressure so much credit. You know, they pressured everybody. They forced other guys to sort of, you know, uh, you know, attack as well. I mean, Shea's making the right reads most of the time in the sense that Serbia is pressuring them full court, literally picking up the full 48 um, or 94 feet for the full 40 minutes. And when he gets into the paint, they're sagging off everybody. So, you know, he's making the right passes out and credit to him, especially early in the game. Um, I could see him trying to find that balance. But again, it's up to other guys to make those shots. And and you just didn't see that from the other guys on the team. Like, you know, uh, I think for Canada, like the three-point attack is just something that, you know, it, 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 it. I think there's two parts to the issues with the three-point. And this was actually a game where Canada shot the three decently. They, they shot 10 of 27 for 37%. Like, this is actually a, a fairly good game for Canada from the three-point line. But there are, there are opportunities where they're lacking in the sense that the secondary playmaking in the starting lineup, because you're starting Dylan Brooks, and Dylan is already giving you a lot of offense, but he's not a secondary play creator, it's got to go to R.J. Barrett. And overall, R.J. Barrett had a good game in the sense that he shot 8 of 14 from the field and 3 of 8 from 3. But you just need a little bit more in terms of the playmaking, in terms of just the attacking. I know I'm already asking for a lot, a lot there, but that secondary play creator, it's like, Basically, Shea is the only guy you really trust with the ball or really trust to always create a play. And that's where you missed a guy like Jamal Murray, for example. They probably couldn't guard both Jamal and Shea in that same way. But again, he wasn't here for the tournament. He's not been here for the last month or so. So we don't need to necessarily cry over spilled milk. Just pointing out the fact that the secondary play creation, especially in the first quarter, was not there for Canada. And that's where Serbia was able to run off their misses. And I got to say, Serbia's transition game was excellent. Just the discipline on both ends of the floor was great. But the way these guys ran, um, and we're not talking about the greatest athletes in the world, but we're talking about the most disciplined and, and like focused players that I've seen all tournament. Like They run the channel, they, they run it hard, and they don't miss opportunities, and they make the play for each other. So they get out in transition. Canada's in the hole. 
down what eight or yeah down eight points after the first quarter and obviously this is where the foul trouble comes in and and compounds things Dylan Brooks picks up two fouls in the first quarter Shea picks up two fouls in the first quarter as well and so you know you have to get substitutions in you know Dwight Powell you knew he was going to be in foul trouble in this game just having to do all the you know um, dirty work against a bigger man down low like it's it's you know I mean you're just gonna have to foul most times like it, it is what it is uh, and this is where another weakness of the Canada roster came in when their second unit came in, you know, and I'm and I'm talking about Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I'm talking about uh, Trey Bell-Haynes. I'm talking about Kyle Alexander. These guys didn't even play that many minutes. Nikhil played more minutes, obviously, because he's the best of the bunch. But they all came in and made some errors. Like, it, it, it was to the point where it felt like they couldn't even get the ball past half court. First play of the game when Shea comes out, and Shea typically will play most of the first quarter, and even when they go to the backups, they go to Nikhil. They don't usually go to Trey, but they bring Trey into the game, and Serbia was on him, you know, like it was sharks in bloodied water or something. Like it, it, it's, you know, Trey barely gets the ball past half court on the first possession, just trying to, you know, bring it past half. And then the next play down, he literally drives and he gets himself stuck and he travels. And it's like it, all of it was just him overwhelmed by the pressure Kyle Alexander overwhelmed by the pressure as a big man not really able to handle not really confident really with the ball coming in kind of scared and afraid and then even Nikhil who I think look at times has really looked smooth at times it looked really great but there's this like and I don't know how to describe it in a way and I don't mean it in a pejorative sense I just don't know another word for it but there's moments where he plays a little bit soft and for and you know it, it feels like he wields just a little bit because you see so much smoothness, so much calm from him. But then at times when it gets tough, he makes these uncharacteristic errors. And in the first quarter, it's hard to say that, you know, in, in a you know first quarter, it's already tough. But it was it was already tough. And the bench is in and the ball swings over the kill. He wants to up fake his defender uh, so they can fly by and then for him to shoot the three. And he ultimately did make the three, but he literally jumps up with the ball and then puts the ball down for a double dribble. And it's like things like that. It's uncharacteristic because you know that Nikhil is a better shooter than that and also is a better ball handler than that. But again, the pressure kind of got to all these guys. And so the bench really doesn't do anything. And Canada, you know, bottoms out a little bit. Down only eight, um, you know, at the end of the first quarter. Second quarter, more guys get into foul trouble. You know, Kelly Olenek picks up two you know, fouls. Dwight Powell picks up the two fouls. Dylan Brooks picks up his third foul. You know, Shea picks up his third foul at the end of the second quarter. And I look, listen, I'm not saying all these are good calls, man. I'm really not saying that. And I know there's tons of discussion about foul calls, all that stuff. But I got to tell you, like, it, it's, to me, this is one of the other things that comes up when you watch people play. I think in the NBA, there's definitely this, like, principle, especially having watched Nick Nurse the last, very closely the last five years. It's like, it's so important to ball pressure. Always, always, always ball pressure. The answer to every single defensive issue is the ball pressure. Unless it's like Ben Simmons, um, you're ball pressuring. And even against Ben, they're probably ball pressuring. Like, it, it's just ball pressure across the board, flat as, like, a principle. And the idea is, okay, you can disrupt, you can deflect, you can create these opportunities. I think, especially at the feeble level, like, especially in the, these experienced teams who... Um, are coming mostly out of Europe. I'm thinking about, you know, like Germany. I'm talking about uh, Spain. I'm talking about Latvia. I'm talking about Serbia. Like, you're not going to just simply get these guys to fold um, by not, by by pressuring the ball. Like, yes, you can pressure the ball. And yes, it's a good thing. But it has to be a little bit more selective in this case. Because I think when you're pressuring the ball constantly across the board on every single instance, um, 
you, you need a certain discipline to go with it. And I've got to say, like Serbia, for example, did pressure the ball across the board really, really well. But they did it with a discipline where they weren't really fouling. And when they did get beat, which is what happens sometimes, it's part of the concession is when you're playing aggressive, you open yourself up more to getting beat. You're tr- you're not trying to get back into the play and focused on making the hero ball defensive play with the swipe from behind, with, with, with the slap on the ball. You're trusting that your help defense is there and that you're able to rotate. And it's, it's such a fine line to walk, but at the same time, it's very important because you're playing kind of on a nice edge defensively when you do that. And Canada today gave up way too many fouls. It reminded me a lot of watching the Raptors play, especially in the first half of the season. You didn't have a rim protector, but you're also pressuring like crazy up top. So you're just committing tons and tons of fouls. And it really stopped a lot of what Canada needed to do. I mean, Canada knew their best players on the floor. And really, Canada only had like, for this whole tournament, they've had seven guys that they trust, right? It's the starting five uh, of Kelly, of Dwight Powell, of RJ Barrett, Dylan Brooks, and Shago Alexander. And then off the bench, they trust two, Lou Dort and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They don't really want to play any of the other guys. If Kyle, if Kyle Alexander comes into the game, it's for 10 minutes tops, and it's just for defense. Um, if Trey Bell Haynes comes into the game, I mean, first off, very rare, but he's only there for some three-point shooting and, like, slight, slight backup guard, point guard play. But, like, he's kind of like a tiny Patty Mills in that way. Like, you're not really using him the way you would typically use a guard. And so, you know... You needed those guys on the floor in the short rotation. So Serbia was very clever to attack. But at the same time, I think Canada got themselves into issues. Like, Shea's third foul, to me, was a perfect example of, like, what, you know, Canada shouldn't do defensively, right? So Shea's on two fouls uh, that he picked up in the first quarter. Forced him to sit, uh, like, three, four minutes of the third quarter, or of the first quarter. Comes in, plays the second quarter pretty well. So it's like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but then at the end of the second quarter, and again, I understand that exhaustion comes in and this is a, a bang, bang play and he makes a decision and he's not going to make it right all the time. I, I'm not trying to ask me to be perfect, but those are moments of awareness where Shea got beat off the dribble because he was pressuring a ball handler super high, uh, gets beat off the dribble, which again happens. But instead of trusting that the help defense is there, especially because this man was driving um, towards the the sideline, not towards middle. Towards middle, I can understand a little bit more in terms of, okay, it's more of a panic situation. But the guy beats Shea driving sideline. Uh, and Shea goes in for his poke around um, from behind. And I get it. Like, Shea tries to do that play all the time. That's why he has one of those per game. Where he's able to poke it from behind. And Canada's able to secure the ball. And they throw it ahead to Shea. And he dunks it, right? Um but you cannot do that when you already have two fouls. And if you commit your third, when you only have five for the whole second half, like it's going to put you in real issues, not only because it may be taking you off the floor, but also it makes it so that it's impossible for you to actually play defense when it really, really matters, which is guarding on the shot. To me, it's more about guarding on the shot rather than pressuring the ball. Like, you know, and so that opportunity, it's a gamble. Uh, he misses the gamble, commits the foul. Serbia goes to the foul line. Jordi Fernandez picks up the tech because he's frustrated. That's a three-point play that puts Serbia up at halftime by 13 points when they should have only been up at halftime by 10. What's the real danger in one of these guards driving sideline after getting beat with help coming towards them, right? But instead, you needlessly gamble and your head coach is frustrated because, you know, he's been complaining the whole game because, again, there's been a lot of foul calls on Canada. That's three points. And... You're not going to get those free three points back from Serbia. They weren't making that many mistakes. The first half that Serbia played was just 
you know, structured, was disciplined, and they 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 jumped on Canada to start. They jumped over their, their tendency for a slow start. And then they also came out and they executed on the offensive end. Bogdanovich was excellent on that front. So it was difficult. Now, how would Canada respond at halftime? Because, this, you know, this is a situation where Canada has been down a half before. Very similar to the Spanish game where they were down 10 at halftime. Um, and then Canada was able to come back. Now, there were no, like, specific lineup adjustments in the third quarter. But at the same time, I thought Canada did play a lot better. Um, you know, you, you, to start the third quarter, you know, uh, Shea gets Dylan Brooks open for a three. He knocks it down. And I thought Canada was getting more stops. Serbia didn't come out in the third quarter to start the third quarter in the same intensity that they came out in the first quarter. And I thought Canada actually played with a little bit more intensity. But at the same time, I think this is where the inexperience comes in because Canada had opportunities where they got the three for Brooks right away. So they cut it down to 10. Then Serbia missed like their next three, four shots. And each time they missed or each time they turned the ball over, Canada had the opportunity to run. And it was three straight opportunities um, where Canada had the ball in transition and they just couldn't get anything, right? Um, they they took a quick three that, that didn't really need to happen. They, they wasted a couple of shots at the rim that didn't need to happen. They turned them over once, which didn't need to happen. Like, that's where Canada missed their shot to me to get back into the game. Because, again, I would have been very curious to see what Serbia would have looked like in a closer game when they're not just like, you know, they don't have the advantage at their back. If you really throw that punch and you get yourself level with them, who knows? Maybe they stagger. Maybe they turn on each other a little bit. You never know. Um, but you miss that opportunity because you had three straight chances to run. You missed it. And then to, to add injury to insult, after RJ gets another opportunity, drives in transition, uh, draws the foul because he put in a little hesitation before going to the basket. He goes to the foul line. He misses both. And so that's four straight opportunities where you had the opportunity to run. And Canada's been a great transition team. Four straight opportunities, you come up with nothing. And four straight opportunities in a 10-point game, right? Like, you could have conceivably taken the lead just on that alone, forced everybody into early timeout, get them panicked, you know, all that kind of stuff. But instead, you add even more frustration to your own game. And I got to say, for the third quarter, Serbia's most of their offense just came off of cuts and switches. Like, yes, there were occasional opportunities where guys were able to create you know, offense, mostly against mismatches, right? Mostly late clock situations where guys are able to drive past the big or whatever. But you can put that aside because that happens over the course of, uh, you know, what was in Canada's control was how much they fell asleep off the ball. Kelly Olenek, their star, you know, their, their captain for this group, his weakness is defense. And it's not even just like, okay, if the foot speed wasn't there, but one of the plays, um, Serbia drives and Kelly is one of the help defenders on the strong side, on the same side of the floor as the ball. And his man just cuts across the lane behind him, and Kelly stays, and just because he was ball watching, and they make the quick pass across the lane, and he gets in for a little short, uncontested, like two foot jump hook. So stuff like that, where it's like you have way too many opportunities where you're falling asleep off ball. You got guys flaring out for three. You got guys cutting behind the play. At least three or four of uh, Serbia's buckets in the third quarter, when Canada was actually trying to make this comeback, they were hitting these threes. Um, when they had these opportunities, they missed them. Because of the fact that they were just ball watching. And I think that's the disappointing part with that to me is Canada's strategy, especially in the second half, was just switch everything. Switch everything, right? Just switch and we'll live with it. Well, if they want to play down low, we can bring some help, but we'll switch everything. And and even if we got mismatches, we'll live with it, right? We just got to keep the ball in front, keep the ball in front. If you're going to switch everything, then Serbia especially cannot get open on cuts because everyone is just guarding man-to-man at that point, right? And even if you switch assignments, it doesn't matter to me if you... Uh, if uh, if you have a mismatch in terms of a small is on a big or big is on a small, you cannot give up a cut. 
that it's not an opportunity where, okay, you, you know, like I can excuse if you're switching everything and their guard has like Kelly Olenek on a switch on a, on a string. And then they, they, you know, they, they get on the perimeter and knock down a three or they, they drop up to the basket for a score. Like ideally you bring some help, but you know, that's what you have to live with on switches. Those mismatches cutting off the ball and falling asleep is not a mismatch. That's just a, that's just not enough focus and execution. And I think that level of Canada just needed to be there because on the other end, they weren't given the same opportunity. Serbia wasn't. And, you know, Shea got going in the third quarter. That was great. Um, You know, he has, I was never really too worried about that. I mean, Serbia did throw a lot of things at Shea and they had a lot of great defenders and and pressured him the whole way and they made him work. But Shea's just that good where he's going to create you some offense where it's like a baseline post up fadeaway jumper over two guys and he makes it look easy or he's driving to the basket and drawing fouls. And he, he's, you know, he's playing quicker rather than slower, which, um, you know, is something that he's able to do. He's both, he's able to play fast and he's able to play slow. And it's really, really impressive to, uh, to sort of watch, um, how he's, he's played all, uh, tournament. And so, you know, that he's kind of unstoppable. He's going to continue to, to get whatever he needs to do. But like, at the same time, you just didn't see, um, enough on the defensive end for Canada to capitalize. You didn't see enough on those transition opportunities. And I know I'm harping on very small things, but these are the differences that mount up and that gets you to the point where you can't ever get back into the game. And by the time the fourth, fourth quarter happened, I mean, so Canada's down, I think 12. Yeah. They, they, they won the third quarter by one point. They should have won it by like five or six. They really needed to. Um, they, they go into the fourth quarter down 12 and it's like, okay, it's still conceivable. I suppose Canada would need a lot to happen. And on literally the first play of the fourth quarter, um, Shea gets ripped at half court, falls over. It's the first time I've seen Shea get ripped all, like, tournament. Uh, and the other guy goes in the other way for a layup. And Serbia's hype, their energy is incredible. Their coach is, like, a 74-year-old who is, you know, obviously very gray and all that kind of stuff. Actually, not even gray. His hair was just, like, pure white, basically. Um but he is just yelling. He's getting on these guys. He's keeping that intensity up for the group. He's making substitutions. Anytime that, you know, Serbia would give up a transition opportunity or three, he was in their ears screaming at them. And honestly, like, it's not the approach that everyone takes. It's more, I think, honestly, it's part of it's cultural. Like, it really is. Certain cultures have different ways of communicating with each other. They have different ways of managing each other. Like, I, I can respect cultural differences. I know, for example, you know, like, even for my culture, that would be fairly common, right? But... It, it, it worked for them. It worked for them. And I'm not saying that would I need a Canada to do that. I don't think that's really part of what we do here. But, like, it worked for them. And it kept them so locked in and focused. And, again, I think in the down the stretch, Canada did get enough offense at times. It may be enough offense, but their defensive intensity just kept slipping and slipping and slipping. Meanwhile, I think for Serbia, because they had so many guys that they played a lot of minutes and so many guys that they can bring in and trust, it wasn't like anybody came into the game and, and like, oh my God, it was a panic that he, they were in the game. Everybody was fresh. Everybody played great for Serbia and they had the rotation. And that's something that, again, we could have anticipated coming into this game because of the fact that, you know, this is what they have done all tournament. They have like six or seven guys averaging seven to eight points playing 15 to 20 minutes. And, you know, this is another principle that we've seen. Like this was very successful, for example, uh, at Eurobasket when Spain won it last year. You know, Sergio Scariolo with this group, played a deep rotation, 10, 11 guys. Everybody played between 15 and 30 minutes, and they were able to run two full units. They were able to replace the parts that they actually got in foul trouble versus a team like Canada, which anytime anybody got into foul trouble, it was a downgrade going to the bench. They didn't have that problem at all. 
And meanwhile, you saw that uh, that intensity was able to last them right down the stretch where Bogdanovich, who is their number one option, was still like lightning fast and getting steals and going the other way and making huge threes. And, you know, like he had all the juice left in the world because of the fact that they have the, the minutes distribution. I mean, you look at this thing. Uh, I'm just going to read straight down the box score in terms of the number uh, minutes played, 10 minutes played, 18 minutes played, 29 uh, uh, minutes played. That's Bogdanovich. 11 minutes played, 28 minutes played, 12, 24, 21, 15, 30. We're talking about 10 guys who came into the game and they all played between 10 and uh, between 10 and 30 minutes. Like you're just not going to be able to beat a team with that kind of endurance. Meanwhile, for Canada, even with foul trouble, they still didn't really trust guys to come in and play. Like Phil Scrub plays a minute 30 because it was garbage time. Trey Bell Haynes plays a minute. He plays two minutes and 37 seconds. Only one minute and seven seconds of that was in actual time. That was in the first quarter. The rest of it was garbage time. Zach Eady plays 10 seconds of actual time. It was a very strange play where third quarter, Zach Eady, you know, Canada was getting beat on these switches in the post. And so Jordy Fernandez subs in Zach Eady, who's their biggest player, but he rarely plays. And he comes in. And as soon as Serbia's coach saw that he was coming in and taking out, I think, Dwight Powell or something, um, instantly... He took out his center and put in and went for a small ball or put in a guard. And Jordy actually tried to sub Edie back out. But, you know, the FIBA rule, and maybe it's the same in the NBA, I'm not totally sure. But the FIBA rule is that time has to come off the clock in order for a substituted player to be substituted back out of the game. You can't just, like, substitute in and out, in and out, in and out on a dead ball constantly like that. And so Edie has to stay in for that 10 seconds. And wouldn't you know it, in that 10 seconds, they immediately attack him in the pick and roll. And I thought Edie did a decent enough job of staying in front, but, you know, he was matched up against the guard. The guard went downhill, and Akil, instead of trusting that the big was there or even making the full rotation and and, and forcing maybe a wing kick out or something, I don't know. It's not an ideal play, but he reaches in and swipes and gets the foul, and in that 10 seconds that Edie actually played a real time, Serbia was able to win that 10 seconds by two points. You know what I mean? And those little edges come up at the end. Like, Serbia won about, like, four possessions. Where could you have won four possessions over the course of the game? That's one possession fully lost in that. Shea goes down to poking from behind and Jordy getting attacked right before the end of half. That's another possession. You can find these things over and over again. And, and again, I know it sounds like harping on, you know, small details, but you need to nail all of those, especially if Canada, again, Canada's going to the Olympics. How are you going to then do something at the Olympics? If you want to get to that level, you can't just say, oh, here's all my talent. You also got to play and execute as a team. Most of the Serbian team you haven't even heard about. They all have kind of like a similar haircut and they come in and they play aggressive and they play physical. You know, they're most, a lot of the guys are interchangeable outside of Bogdanovich. And, and yet they were able to beat this t- Canadian team. Why? Because they have that discipline as a group. They know what they have that identity as a group and they execute perfectly. And, you know, that's the level that if, if Canada has this level of talent, but they also have that level of execution and discipline, you will win. You would win, right? But at the same time, execution beats talent, especially in this kind of tournament play. So, um, yeah, my point was just none of the guys really gave you that many minutes. Melvin Edgem finally played in the second half. I think they should have relied on him a little bit more. Just offensively, it gives you more, but he doesn't really do much else, especially at this age. No, no disrespect. Um, Kyle Alexander played like 30 seconds in the first half was shook, came out of the game. Um, so again, it's still the same guys. We're talking about Kelly. We're talking about Dylan. We're talking about, um, you know, Dwight Powell, Shea, Nikhil, Lou, like that's it. And, and RJ, of course, like, and 
even within that core seven, I think there are still a couple of issues to really get into. Number one, obviously, you don't have the size down low. You don't really have like the help defense up top, right? Because again, you could say you don't have the post mismatch or matchup. That's fine as long as you have the help and you don't have the help. Again, like it, it, just imagine USA is coming with Jaron Jackson Jr. coming over to block the shot. Literally the league leader in block shots. He's coming over to help. Meanwhile, we have Kelly Lone coming over to help. It's just not the same. It just really is not the same. And then offensively, there's not enough ball handling with that group uh, to support Shea. I would say there's not really enough shooting. And this again, this is a game where Canada actually shot the ball decently. But one of the issues, I think, with Canada is when you look at the other teams that um, succeed at the highest level, like Serbia, for example, they have the off-ball shooters where they're cutting and they're getting open. They're using screens and they're getting themselves open off-ball and they're searching and they're hunting for that. And that, to me, is a different level of three-point making that Canada has, where Canada has guys who... You know, a, a, someone like Shea has to create the advantage on the ball or using the ball screen, getting downhill, drawing two defenders, and then kicking out to a guy in the corner and him knocking down that three. And, and technically, that is still off-ball play, but I think my point is that the advantage is created on ball, and then the make is transferred to off-ball. You are not seeing the same execution where a, a shooter is moving so much off-ball that it's creating the advantage away from the ball instead of having to beat the man one-on-one at the top. And so that level where I don't know all of Canada's playmakers, but that's the level that I think they need to get to as well. How much of that off-ball action are they really trusting? Because it's one thing to play that that way where you're able to drive and kick, drive and kick. That's fine. That's contingent on your guy always creating the advantage up top. And Shea obviously is a guy who can do that a lot. But if you add that extra element where you have, like what Bogdanovich did today, you know, the cutting and the moving off ball, or even what the Warriors do, for example, like that element is just so, it's so drastically different from how Europeans teams play in their style of play versus how American style or like the USA NBA style is. There just isn't as much of that. That's why the Warriors stand out with how they play and how they execute in the, in the league, not just because of Stephen Clay, but in, because of the system as well. But you pick the Warriors style of play and you put it in, in Europe. I, I, I don't think it's very distinguishable. In the sense that, like, they're not probably the same noticeable um, difference. Now, of course, it would still be noticeable to have Steph and Clay. Don't get me wrong. That's next level shooting. It's next level ball movement. But my point is that that is a lot, lot more common overseas. And that's the element where I'm not sure how you would transfer that to the to to the to this group. I'm sure a lot of habits are ingrained in this group that you cannot simply break out of just over the course of a training camp, which is a week, or a warm up series which is two weeks or even of course of a tournament which is probably two weeks right um you would need sort of like layers and layers of experience but i think that is one of the missing opportunities you don't have the off-ball shooter and you don't even have necessarily the talent to kind of do that right like you don't have guys you know in this group that are off-ball shooters like kelly gets his threes because he's playing up top but he's fairly deep and if a big drops back on him you know honestly kelly's just crafty like that you just never really can anticipate what he's going to do but he has the ability to shoot it like that. But he's not coming off of curls and all that kind of stuff and constantly making all those movements. And he's probably their best, like, movement player, period. Um, I liked, for example, Kelly today being able to play high-low out of the high post. You know, Serbia's ball pressure was really getting to Canada's players. And so they put Kelly on the ball on the perimeter. The one thing that they weren't pressuring as much was they weren't putting their bigs pressuring the ball the same way that their guards were pressuring the ball, which is, you know, obviously the same thing pretty much across all of basketball. And so Kelly was able to have a lot more space to operate and throw these high-low passes and even draw a couple of fouls. Those things are good. Um, 
But like Nikhil is not like an off-ball shooter like that. He's not curling off of screens and shooting off the catch and all that kind of stuff. Like, and, and he's probably your best off-ball shooter in addition to that. Shea's mostly a step-back shooter, an occasional set-foot catch-and-shoot-three guy. But like those are mostly off of broken plays. You can't really – you're not asking him to curl off of the ball. You know, Dylan Brooks, you know, he's already giving you as many threes as he could possibly give you. I, I can't really ask for more with him, but he's also not a guy who's curling off ball. Lou Dort is often not one of those guys. So it would be nice to add that element is what I'm trying to say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, o- overall, you know, you, you see some of the issues, and I think a team like Serbia was great in terms of executing. And even with despite all those issues that I mentioned, Canada was still, like, reasonably in this game. Now, they never really got ahead. I'm not trying to say they were even in the same um, – you know, I, I, I mean, Serbia to me was clearly the better team. Don't get me wrong. But my point is, if you're only down three, four possessions, you are still in the game, right? And to me, that's where that talent gap is. Like, Canada talent alone can get into these games and, and, and you know, and prevent us from being a, a, a like a run out. Like, I thought Serbia played basically a perfect game. Um, maybe, especially in the first half. Second half, I think they were a little sloppier. They committed more fouls or more turnovers. Fourth quarter, they committed a lot of fouls. But, like, over the course of this game, Serbia played so well and they executed so well, and Canada was still in it. And that's where it means, like, that's the promising thing. It's like, it's still a young group, there's still a lot of talent, and it's just about how to um, make that, just play at an even higher level. Because I think the talent level for Canada is so high that we can ask for the execution level to meet, match what their what their, uh, what their their talent level is. Because if they can do that, if they can learn to play as a team as well as other teams have in this that we have seen in this tournament you know i wouldn't say we got past spain with team basketball we got past them with talent basketball with like with shay and dylan doing everything that they could humanly could to beat that team by one possession it just wasn't enough against a team like serbia because they're better than spain they're a better version of spain but um you know i I think that execution can be learned that can be taught that can be developed into this into the team program but that has to really really they had to be really creative and and make the most of their time to get to that point because, um, you know, to me, there is still that gap. And it's not like Canada's just going to come in and out-talent teams. If you were just looking at talent on paper, Canada's better than Serbia. But execution-wise, that's how the game is actually played. And to me, that's where the gap has to be made up. But listen, it was a valiant effort. Um, You know, they, they they got beaten by a team that played better as a team. There's nothing you can really do, and hats off to them, you know? So... I think my last thing before going to the three stars was just talking about some of the individual players. I think look, with a guy like RJ, it's, so, it's funny to me because I'm like, I'm expecting so much out of RJ. And I'm trying to catch myself in terms of just like, you know, what's reasonable for him, what's not reasonable for him. Look, listen, like he had 23 points. He led the team in scoring in 32 minutes, playing off ball, shot the ball efficiently, you know, eight of 14 from the field, five of six from two, three of eight from three four of six from three free throw line. Like, it's not like he played bad, only had two turnovers as well. But I think there is a level to me where it's like with RJ, it does feel a little bit disappointing in the sense that um, there are these open threes that don't really go in for him or there are these opportunities where he's attacking where he's not able to to get to his shot that often or even him at the foul line, he missed back-to-back free throws. Like, again, I'm not trying to critique it like like that, but I'm I'm saying that like, to me, that's just a sign of his, his inexperience and his youth. There's an even bigger level that he can get to. And I know he played really well today on the overall. A lot of it came late, but I'm not I'm not discrediting that. Again, they were in the game. Um, RJ was one of our best players. But there's an even higher level that he can get to. Because when you look at the missed opportunities there, when you look at even the defensive you know, uh, mishaps that he had, I think he has the ability to, to get to a different level. And 
he's 23 years old. He's played in the league for like four years now. Obviously, was a high pick. Well, you know, was you know this uh, huge prospect coming out of college as well, or coming into college as well from high school. Um, and I know there's just a little bit more because I think the role that they're asking RJ to play on this team is to be that secondary creator, is to sort of like you know force the issue in transition and take an end to end, and you know hopefully you know knock down some shots off ball, but also make plays off ball, and relative to the shots and the opportunities he had, this was just a good game, but he could be even greater by making more of these opportunities. There, there's just opportunities where he's missing the layup here, or he's not as good of a three-point shooter, as, uh, uh, even though he's um, left open a lot. Like that three-point shooting has to be a little bit more consistent. And even the opportunities where he's driving and, and, and attacking in transition, there could be a little bit more. Um, and so I think for RJ, it's just like, you know, especially considering that we're talking about a candle basketball program that um, is, is on its way up. I mean, RJ is going to be part of this team for like another 10 years at minimum, as long as he stays healthy. Like he is going to be with this team for a very long time. He's probably going to be a starter that whole time. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that he continues to grow more and more as a player, because I think there's just another level for him to reach. And today, I think we saw some of the good parts. We also saw some of the bad parts. Like, I can't lie to you. Like, this is one of those games where you're watching and you're just a little bit disappointed in sort of what you got, even though you got a lot at the end. So I think that what that really just says is that he has a ton, a ton of potential. And we've seen ups and downs for RJ in this tournament. It's not over, by the way. They're obviously going to play bronze uh, on Sunday at 4.30 uh, a.m. So it's even earlier than before. It's not the 15 minutes that extra that we got to snooze today. Like, it's 4.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, there is another level for him to get to. And I know I sound like the, you know, the, the immigrant dad right now being like, why can't you turn your A to an A plus? But, you know, that's what it is. You know, if you don't get an A plus, how do you expect to, to get to the proficiency, which is the championship in this case? Like, I don't know what to tell you. If you want to just be a B level team, then, then you've done it. Congratulations. You know, you're happy. You're on the honor roll. Cool. But like, you know, if we're talking about winning the championship, that's proficiency. So these little margins for all these players, I think it needs to get there. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm really proud of the way they fought. I'm really proud of the way they played. Um, I'm even more impressed by the way Serbia was. And uh, I, I think for me personally, just if Serbia doesn't play like this in the final, I'd be so disappointed because this is the level that I want to see. Like, I want to see if whoever it is between Germany and the USA, and they're playing in about an hour here. Um, whoever it is that wins between that group, like, just I want to see them push to the extent that Canada's pushed there today because Serbia was so tough. Credit to them, man. A lot of lessons learned. And, um, you know, again, I, I'm proud of the Canadian team. I'm very, very proud of them. But there's just another level they got to get to as a whole. So uh, your three stars on this performance, um, man, I don't even know. I, I mean, I, I think probably Shea still was our first star. I'm sorry. Like, he, he's just so good. I don't know what to say. 15 points, nine assists. Battle foul trouble, three steals, 20, um, you know, shot four of eight from the field, uh, seven of nine from the foul line. I, I mean, Serbia made him work like crazy. There were opportunities where he got four, uh, fouled in the fourth quarter and he was just lying down there. Not because he was hurt, just because he was tired. He needed to catch his breath, man. I mean, just incredible. But at the same time, he was making the opportunities. I like that he had the nine assists. Um, to me, that's a honest sign of how much he was making the smart play either finding the bigs down low or, or kicking out. Like, that's a sign of a great player is that they can't stop you fully, even if they load up everything against you. And 
you know, obviously it's not the 30 point explosions that we have seen, but I think Serbia played a much better game plan. Like they only allowed Shea, who can get a shot off most times, to only eight shots, like field goal attempts, period. And, you know, that's ridiculous to me. Shea's been shooting like 15, 20 shots, like regularly. And so that's just a credit to the defense. I think that execution-wise, Canada needs to find a better job of getting him on the ball. But at the same time, eventually teams will play that kind of defense where they force other guys to beat you. And that's where you need him to play make. And he played make for you. Nine assists, which is a high for Shea for the tournament. So, you know, credit to him. I think my only gripe with Shea was just taking that foul at the end of the second quarter. And if that's the one mistake you can find in the whole game, it's hard to really say much about it. Like, he was excellent. You... I don't know. Even on an off night, he's still the Canada's best player, which is uh, truly incredible. Uh, your second start, I will give that to RJ. Um, there is a case for Dylan here, um, but I think with RJ, I, I like that overall his approach offensively. He took the right shots that were there in a game where you know they were forcing, um, they were forcing Shea to give it up. RJ still was able to create enough for you. I think a little bit came too little, too late. There were key missed opportunities. I just talked about that, but. You can't argue with the overall production. 23 points, 8 of 14 shooting, uh, 5 of 6 from 2, 3 of 8 from 3, 4 of 6 from the foul line. I think the rebounding and defense is another area where I, I would like to see his impact just made a little bit more. You can't tell me he's that athletic and that physical on offense, but defensively, he's not really providing much help, but he's not providing uh, rotations at the rim. He's not really locking his man down one-on-one. Like, like he has more physical gifts than Dylan Brooks, for example. You know what I mean? I understand that he's an offensive player and he has more offensive responsibilities. But, I mean, at the same time, like, there's a different level that RJ can get to defensively as well. And if he takes on that challenge, that will make Cam even better because what they really need is another two-way wing in addition to a true seven-footer in the middle that can really protect things. And I think RJ, probably best position, probably be uh, set, or not center, small, uh, power forward. Uh, as a four but in order him to do that he needs to rebound better and he needs to defend better both as a help defender and on ball as well so more levels for him to reach but overall still a good game and then dylan brooks probably your third star unfortunately only played 26 minutes uh 16 points knocked down three of eight from three uh three of three from the foul line made a couple of drives just in foul trouble most of the game and you know i i I, honestly this one i don't blame as much as the other ones because there are games early in this tournament he was just hacking at the top and those plays were just getting called as fouls and they were very easy to spot for the officials. And also they were needless from a defensive point of view, again, just over aggression on ball defense. But I mean, at the same time for Dylan, like today it was just him guarding a lot of mismatches, him having to help, you know, Canada being in breakdown scenarios, him having to guard chase off ball. I thought he did a decent job of staying attached. Um, you know, again, when you're playing, when you're defending a guy off ball, you, you can't, it's not just like one-on-one defense. Like he could be on the ball against Luca all the time. Bogdanovich playing off ball requires you to have great help defense because no matter how good of a you know defender you are on ball or even just one-on-one guarding when they're cur- curling off of screens and they're constantly playing off of screens you know catching the ball off of screen triple handoffs off of screens um, cutting away from the ball off of screens you will need help like you just need help and I think that Dylan made a f- very few mistakes I think to me defensively and that's the norm for him but the fouls that he was giving up was because Canada's defense as a whole was getting beat. And so it's too bad. It really is too bad. Uh, but I, I, I admired his fight, and he fought down to the last second. So um, salute to Dylan. He's been excellent. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of your Gerald Henderson Award winner, you know, I think several options here. I mean, if you want to give it to Bogdanovich, you can. But honestly, he's been so good. Um, if you want to give it to Militinov, I think he was excellent. I mean, 6-6 six six from the field uh, for 16 points and 10 rebounds. Like, that's incredible efficiency for a big. 
But to me, it was 23 on that team. Marco Guterich, who I believe was with the Grizzlies at one point. Maybe he, they got drafted there. But he had, in his 12 minutes, 12 points on 4-6 shooting. And especially in those transition minutes, at the end of the third quarter, at the start of the fourth quarter, occasionally in the first half as well, he would just come in and create some offense out of nothing, drive downhill. He was really quick off the dribble, which I think was a big changeup because most of the other guards on Serbia outside of Bogdanovic weren't really trying to do that. But he was really getting downhill, playing really tough, made some tough shots. He was a difference maker for them offensively. If Canada had that kind of spark off the bench in terms of on-ball creation, um, you know, maybe they win this game. But instead, we went with Trey Bell, Trey Bell Haynes. So it's like there's a difference level in, in ter- or there's a difference in level. But regardless, Marco was excellent. 12 points in 12 minutes. So I'm going to give it to him. Um, yeah, Canada, you know, the bid for gold is over. We'll see who they play in the bronze medal match on Sunday at 4.30 a.m., uh, if you thought you were a real one for waking up on Friday at 4.45 to watch this semifinal, you are an even realer one if you wake up at 4.30 a.m. on Sunday to watch Canada play for bronze. But, hey, I, if they finish with bronze, it'll be the first medal ever at the World Cup. And for how well this group has played, I mean, all four you know semifinalists, Canada, Serbia, Germany, USA, like that's best definitely been the four best teams in this tournament run that's why they're here they all deserve something from this tournament but for how well canada's played it'd be excellent it'd be so so nice to come away with the bronze and who knows in an hour or so i mean by by the time you hear the pod uh you will have already known the results of the game but uh, in terms of who they're playing but who knows it could be canada usa in the in the bronze medal match which would be really fun regardless so uh let's 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 wake up on the weekend and um let's uh yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I might have to pull an online or something, but you know, like it, it it's uh, it's going to be worth it because I think I'm just really proud of this Canada team. I think they're young. I think they're growing. I think they've already shown a high level, and um, you know, I, I will watch them and follow them to the end. So, thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, yeah, we will be back on Sunday. If, if not, I, I might try to put together something else as well. Um, just for this group, I might try to talk to a couple of reporters. Um, so that's kind of TBD. But if I don't drop another pot in between, then thanks all for listening. And uh, I'll see you, you know, bright and early on Sunday. <laughs>